1: the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump Podcast.
2: Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this special episode. Live from the road, we're on our Carolina road trip. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. Denise. Right now, as we are recording, we are sitting on the Cedar Island Ferry as we head over to Ocracoke Island, which for people who are fans of pirates may know is Blackbeard's old stomping ground. So we're going to check out some of his points of interest as well as some other ones. We've had a great time on the trip so far.
1: Yes, and the area that we're heading to is considered, this whole chain of islands is considered the graveyard of the Atlantic. Lots and lots of
2: shipwrecks. So tell you a little bit about what we've done so far on the trip. Our first stop was in Charleston. What did you think of Charleston, Denise?
1: Well, except for the parking, it was a fabulous city. So we had a great time. We had a really, really good lunch. And why don't you tell them where that was, Diane?
2: We had lunch at Pooch's Porch. We had shrimp and grits. Yummy. And we had she crab soup. We were told by people who were in the know that those are two things that you have to have when you're in South Carolina, so we made sure to do it. And it just so happens that that location is haunted as well. A couple of sisters had lived there for a while. One of them had died, and apparently she still likes to hang out there. She wears a black dress and a black hat. And the interesting thing about that story is right after their death, uh, both of their deaths, there wasn't any haunting going on there. But then they decided to renovate the place and turn it into the restaurant. And now she's been very active. So they're wondering if the renovations pulled her out of the afterlife. What was one of the highlights for you, Denise? Because we know these animals are very close to your heart.
1: Well, there was a $10 on and off all day ferry. So we're like, oh, let's do that. So we went over and got on. And on our crossing, maybe a 20-minute crossing, we must have seen... It was the same pod, but we must have seen them surface some dolphins probably at least 50 times it was amazing
2: we got to do a ghost tour in charleston that was it was a good one we really enjoyed that one we met mike brown who was born and raised in charleston so he knew what he was talking about and it was really cute denise do you want to tell the story about halfway through the tour what happened
1: Yes. So about halfway through. Well, first of all, backing up a little bit, we did have a listener meet up with us with her mom. And so that was Emily. So thank you all so much for coming over. And her mom's name was Helen. But about halfway through the tour, we're walking along and we're just doing one of those walks in between stories. And the tour guide, Mike, turns and looks at us and he goes, hey, I was noticing your shirts. Do you all listen to that podcast? And so we kind of giggled and Emily goes, they're the host. (laughs) It was great.
2: Yeah. And so Mike was thrilled that we were on the tour because he goes, I've actually started listening to that podcast. He heard about us on Selena's show, The Haunted Estate. So thank you, Selena, for the shout out to us. And he also hosts his own podcast, Pleasing Terrors. And he's just gotten started. And so we were telling people... Check that one out. We haven't gotten a chance to yet, but I'm sure if it is anything like his tour, it's excellent. I think he's covering a lot of legends and other paranormal ghost type activity on that podcast. And so he was really excited because he's like, oh, I just started my own podcast. So he was asking us a lot of podcast type questions as well, which were always very helpful about if we can be helpful. We're not real tech savvy anyway, but it was just really fun. To be on a tour with somebody who we didn't know was a listener to the show. And so that was very fun.
1: So Diane says I'm not tech savvy. And anybody knows that that is not true if they watch my video of the Shackelford horses.
2: So we should probably get to that. But before we get to that, one of the things that you hear a lot about in Charleston is about boo hags. I don't know how many people are familiar with those, but that is a main legend that they have there. It's very well known in the South Carolina Low Country, which is where Charleston is located. And they call it the Low Country because it gets very hot and humid there up until I think like late October is when it starts to get more chilly there. So they just call it the Low Country for that reason. The legend of the Boo Hag is brought to us by the Golas. And the Golas were descendants of the West African slaves that worked the rice plantations of the Low Country. The language they speak is also known as Gola. And it's basically English Creole that's mixed with some African tribal languages. They also make the sweetgrass baskets that many of you, if you are familiar with the Carolinas, have probably heard or seen. Really cool. A little pricey because obviously they're handmade and they're really well made. So we didn't pick one of those up yet, but we're thinking the next time we come out, we will. If you hear any banging in the background... <laughs> While we're sitting on the ferry, there's a guy who is working on his boat engine right in front of us, of course. So,
1: So of course, those aren't haunted, like, bangings in the ferry during the day.
2: Oh, we could have made up a really good story. We could have been here and said, did you hear that? I don't know. Did you hear it? I heard, like, I heard it again. Is it a ghost banging on the wall of the ferry? (laughs) Anyway, some examples of their language. Dangerous is dangerous. Pizzen. Is poison scade is scared, and cops is corpse. We thought those would all be perfect words to go with the history ghost bump podcast.
1: And I'm very scared of cops.
2: <laughs> Thanks for that, Denise. I guess people can't get you on your pronunciation for that. The boo hag is a bad spirit that delves in witchcraft at night. The boo hag can shed its skin, and so it cannot be seen at night. Apparently it doesn't have any bones or muscles or innards. So it just is invisible. Stories of attacks by the Boo Hag are very similar to sleep paralysis descriptions. A lot of people who feel like they can't move, they feel like the Boo Hag is sitting on their chest, strangling them, making it so that they cannot breathe. The air will also smell of rotted meat when it is nearby.
1: Ew, that's disgusting. And that kind of reminds me, like, don't don't the Dementors from Harry
2: Potter stink too? Well, I know when people talk about demons, there's always that kind of stench. So I would think these are more along the demonic side when you have a boo-hag around. Now, if you guys want to defend against an attack, what you do is place a broom by the entrance of your home. And the reason why is because apparently they like to count the bristles. So they will just be overcome with... I must count the bristles on this broom. They will be so distracted by it that by the time they finish, the sun will have come up and it will have basically fried them like a vampire. So they'll either have to leave or they'll just be dead. Now, sometimes some of them can count a little more quickly. So you're going to need to have other remedies. You can paint the exterior surfaces indigo blue. Apparently this wards them off. Salt. You can throw that on the boo hag, and it makes it impossible for it to get back into its skin, and so it will die. And they also avoid lit candles for some reason. So you throw salt on it, sort of like a slug? I guess they're boo slugs. <laughs> <laughs> and a fun fact on Gola Beliefs, if you hear a rooster crow at night, someone you know will die. That makes roosters basically a banshee, I guess. So now if you are on a farm and you hear a rooster at night, just scream banshee. So what did we do after Charleston, Denise?
1: Oh, after Charleston, we had a little drive up to Wilmington. But on the way, we stopped at Moores Creek Battlefield, which was very, very cool.
2: Yeah, it was a nice battlefield. We got to see a bridge where the Loyalists who were a bunch of Scottish guys, basically, were derailed by a bridge that was kind of gone. And by the time they got across it, they were ambushed by the colonialists who were in rebellion. And they put these almost, it's kind of like trench warfare, before trench warfare, because we know trench warfare came about during the World Wars, especially World War One. They What they would do is build these... Uh, dirt mounds that were kind of around the edge of where they were hiding and so they were down below this mound almost like they were down in a trench and they would take out these little sections of it and they would have cannons that were shooting through those so it was a pretty one-sided battle a lot of the loyalists died how many colonists
1: grand total of one
2: one on the american side pretty amazing there
1: But what was very, very cool about Moores Creek Battlefield is they had monuments, of course, of the, the one soldier that was lost or the one colonist that was lost. But they also did a monument for all the other people, all the loyalists that had lost their lives as well. So I thought that was very nice to honor them because it wasn't necessarily they were kind of the enemy, but they were just brave men fighting for what they were told to fight for so
2: then we went into wilmington for the evening to go on a ghost tour there and for those of you who are in the Spectacular crew or follow our fan page on history ghost bump you already know that generally speaking we like most ghost tours that we've been on there's only one that we don't recommend to people and it was the ghost and gravestones one that we did in boston it's a franchise so we're thinking that all of the ghosts and gravestones are very similar wherever I know there's one down in Key West. There's one in Savannah. We haven't heard a whole lot of good stuff about them. It's just very, when you get into a franchise kind of thing, very commercialized. And as Kathy Webb Thomas put it, a lot of cheesy stuff. We had some jump scares and things. That's really the only one that we've ever been like, wouldn't really recommend it. Wilmington, same deal. Unless you're in the town, I wouldn't bother. So I wouldn't go into town specifically for it.
1: Yeah, our tour guide was was really good as far as she had fantastic knowledge. And she did try to get us out into quieter places so we could hear her. But some of the issues, which any city can have, it was very, very busy in the city. Loud music, screaming, drunk people. They had the drunk bars being paddled around and all of that, which we've been around before and still had very good ghost tours. But the biggest problem is they tried to take 40 people with one guide and it just, her stories just got lost. And the mayor mass, I don't think any facilitator or tour guide could keep 40 people enthralled with no, no extra people. So that, that I think was the issue is that the numbers were kind of against her. If she'd been in a more intimate group, I think she would have been great.
2: And from what we could tell from our research, this is the only ghost walk they have in the town. It is really popular, which is probably part of the problem. We showed up about 30 minutes early and the line went on and on and on. It was like a Disney World ride.
1: (laughs) No, it wasn't. We have really cool stuff in our lines.
2: That was just a line. Oh, I guess the cue for this one is watch the drunk college kids fall off the sidewalk. (laughs) So we get in that line and we're standing there for a while and this kid comes over to us and he goes oh you have reservations for 830 you don't have to bother with this line because we're gonna have to bother with the line later I guess it was just weird and they only supposedly have two tours at 630 and 830 but these people were on an eight o'clock and we're watching as they're gathering the people over in these little clumps. And we're talking to each other and going, God, I hope that's not the amount of people they take out on a tour. We watch those groups go out like that. So we're like, well, maybe that's just for the 8 o'clock. And maybe this is some special thing that they're starting in September because October's coming. Oh, no. We got into line about five minutes before 830. And they just started piling people over on the side. And we're like, are they really going to take this many out? The only other time that we've had that many people... The Alton ghost tour we did, but I think that was because it was connected to the conference and they were really trying to just get the group there. And it went really well because we had three guides on that one. So they were keeping everybody together. All of them were sharing stories. It was a group. It it just first of all, it's a group that is made for ghost walks because people were there for the ghost conference it was a quieter town. We didn't notice it being a big group. We were able to hear everything and it was really nice. We also had a really huge group when we did the Plymouth Ghost Tour but what they did is about I'd say a fourth of the way through they split us into two groups and then when we went into two locations at the end they split us into two groups there as well. So the Basically, the 40 people became 10 by the end of the tour, which was really nice. And we were able to hear everything. But with this one, maybe it just seemed worse because this is, we didn't realize it was a college town. And it was loud, tons of bars, tons of people on the streets. And so it was just really hard to hear. And then when she would walk us away to places where it was a little quieter, it was a lot and a lot of walking with not much talking. So there just wasn't a whole lot of information and stuff on it.
1: And Diane's biggest fear was roving the entire city. It was filled with cockroaches.
2: Oh, my God. You know, we come from Florida where obviously we have cockroaches and they call them palmettos in Florida, which is their technical name. But they're large cockroaches. Let's just be honest about it. And they fly. We get them in our house occasionally because you just do. Anywhere you live, tropically, we've stayed... In four-star resorts in Hawaii And you get cockroaches and stuff These were all over the street And as a matter of fact There was one guy Who was standing in front of us And we watched in horror As one crawled up his back And we were like ah! We're Like swiping his back and screaming And they were just everywhere So it was loud, chaotic If any of you get anxiety I'm thinking of Patrick Keller of the big seance This is not the city for you Because I was just like Get me the heck out of here
1: And Tiana joined her in that sentiment I think she probably bit about eight people On our ghost tour So um, just point of note Ask before you pet a dog Even if she is a cute little white thing Because she was like Taking them out
2: Then we headed over to Beaufort and we spent the night in a hotel so that we could catch the ferry that we're on right now really early in the morning without having to take down our camp. Beaufort is a gorgeous little city. We wish we would have had more time there. The ghost tour that we took there, we had a pirate guide so we were a little worried it might be a little cheesy and he had some cheesy jokes but very informative and the huge difference about this one from the Wilmington one, not only was there only about 10 of us on the tour but he talked the whole time. Everywhere that we walked to, he would stand in the middle of the street and just talk to the middle of the group. And he was telling us pirate story after pirate story, shipwreck stories and there were some locations he couldn't take us because people live in those locations and they don't like to have the ghost tour coming around and so he would tell us where it was and whatever we do after the tour he's not responsible for so the hammock house which we're going to do a full episode on because it's got a lot of great history and a lot of haunts going on there i think he said 23 of them that they've identified there we weren't able to go see that on the tour but definitely a place to check out on your own has blackbeard connected to it we went Went down a street called Ann Street, and it's their original street there. And literally every house on that block, they have these little wooden signs out front that are posted on the house, and they're painted with uh, different names and the date that the house was built. And literally every house had one on it. And the really
1: cool thing is when we do come back to Beaufort, because it's definitely on our list of places to return. They also have a, just a historical walking tour. And so with what Diane just said, we're planning on that tour definitely because it seems like there's a ton, a ton of history. And we want to see the old burying ground during the daytime.
2: Yeah, the old burying ground was very creepy at night. And we noticed there was one grave there that had a whole bunch of trinkets and toys, shells on top of it. And we heard the story about her. Her name was Abigail. And she was on a ship with her dad, who was the captain. And she came down with a fever. And she had a cough that they thought, well, maybe it's just a cold. And then it got worse and worse. And finally, about a week in, she coughs up this thick black stuff, which they all knew was the plague. So she knew she was going to die. Well, they're on this ship full of people. And normally what they would do is put that person out of their quote-unquote misery and then bury him at sea. Well, her father was like, no, I do not want to do that with my daughter. And I can't do that to her mother, who's not with us because she's going to want to see her daughter.
1: And the whole thing is, is the mother did not want her to go over across on this journey to begin with and fought it for a long time. And finally, the father wanted to take her to see all of her relatives, her grandparents and people that she had, had not seen in years. And so he really worked and they finally the mom finally relented to let her go on the trip. And so after they kept the, I don't, I can't remember what, who the guy was, but one of the head guys of the crew kept saying, we need to get her off. The whole ship could come down with plague. We can't have her here. So they were transporting barrels of rum. So he went and got the barrel of rum and put her body, he had to put it in kind of like a sleeping fetal type position, but he put her body in the keg of rum and sealed it so that she was preserved because it's a great preservative and also great bacterial it keeps that off. It's antibacterial. So he sealed her in there so the plague would stay sealed with her and the crew on the outside would still be safe. But then she would have he would have her body to bring back to her mother instead of just burying her at sea.
2: So they brought her back and they buried her in the cemetery and she's known to haunt the cemetery. A lot of the cemeteries that we went on with these ghost tours are haunted, which normally cemeteries don't tend to be that way, but a lot of these older ones were. They've seen her full-bodied apparition. They showed us a picture that a woman took on a tour a few, I think it was a few weeks ago. And wow, it really looked like a little girl hovering over her grave. You could see her hair and she was kind of white and translucent. It didn't look like something that you could doctor. I mean, we've seen doctored pictures and this isn't the type of, you know, like some kind of ghost app or something that you could do. Something like I've never seen before. So it was a very interesting picture. They kept saying across the street was, I think it was a bank and it had some, lights for the parking lot. There was one on each corner, and the one that was on the corner closest to us was right across from Abigail's grave and it kept clicking on and off and so they kept saying oh Abigail's playing with the light tonight she doesn't do that all the time but she's really active tonight so we're like okay you know again we're open-minded skeptics so we walk closer to where Abigail's grave is because he'd taken us down to where some other ones were and we're looking over onto the other side and I noticed oh there's the same light over there and it's not on and I was like well that's really weird to have these two lights in a parking lot that are not on at night and then I noticed a little bit later that It had turned on. And then sometime later, it had turned off again. And so I said, huh, so that light over there is turning off and on, and this light is turning off and on. So I'm thinking that this has been debunked, and it's just these lights are on some kind of a system, or they're both not working correctly. Don't think the ghost is haunting both of these lights in this parking lot across the street from the cemetery. I think that was just them kind of making up some stuff there. I didn't call him on it and say well what about that light over there because that's not the kind of thing we do. The other interesting story that we heard about the old burying ground had to do with a street light that was actually in the cemetery and he explained why the light was there. So
1: that story was about a little girl who was two years old when she passed away. I think it was from yellow fever, if I remember correctly. And so she was terrified of the dark. And so when she was buried, the parents got a glass top casket for her so that when the light filtered through the earth, that she would have the light in her casket. Well, she was also buried with a, it was a diamond and gold necklace and she was buried with that. And there was some some teenagers who decided that they were going to get rich by getting that necklace. And they were digging up all throughout the graveyard, digging up bodies and everything, um, trying to find the necklace. And when they finally found her and they broke the casket, because they pulled it up because it sounded different when they hit the top. And when they opened it, her body just like disintegrated right before their eyes.
2: To preface that, Denise... Her body was perfectly preserved inside the casket so they could see her through the glass casket and so they could see that she was perfectly preserved but when they broke that seal she just started decaying immediately and the guys started freaking out thinking oh this is a sign this is bad luck but they really wanted that necklace so they grabbed the necklace and took off and they go down to the nearest bar
1: and at the bar as they started drinking a little bit more of a different kind of spirit their tongues got a little bit looser and they started talking more about what they had done and the bartender happened to come from a very very old family from Beaufort. So he jumps over the counter and beats the guy to a bloody pulp. They all had to go do time because, come to find out, one of the people, the bodies that they dug up, and they were talking about going back and doing more, one of them was the bartender's relative. So that did not fare well, and they ended up doing doing some... Pretty long time, from what I understand.
2: And another sad note about Abigail that we just talked about again, some teenagers, I think it was a couple of months ago or maybe a month ago, were partying and they decided to go out to the cemetery and be stupid. They were urinating on the graves, and as you know, we love our cemeteries. And for some reason, they thought it would be fun to light some of the tombstones on fire. Some of them are wooden. Abigail's happens to be that way, and you could see that it was charred. And luckily, they did get caught. It took, I think, a couple weeks, they said, and they caught him. And they still haven't gone to trial yet, but all the townspeople are hoping that they're going to get, they could get between five to eight years because it's a felony to desecrate a historic area. And that grave is considered a historic area. So they could get up to eight years, and the townspeople, the uh, guide was telling us, are pushing for the eight years, and I'm all for it because that's just just absolutely ridiculous. But what they did is, I don't know if they started some kind of a fundraiser for it just in the town within 48 hours they had raised a hundred thousand dollars so she's going to have a memorial like you wouldn't believe
1: in fact they they raised so much money so quickly they had to stop the donations from coming in
2: yeah, they were like, we've got enough. Stop sending them in. So that's how much she's beloved by the people there. And again, little kids come and bring their toys and put them up on her her grave and stuff.
1: And also kids who don't even live in the town, once they hear her story, they talk to their parents about going into one of those little shops along the main main stretch there and purchasing a toy so they can take it back to her as well.
2: Well, while we have been away, we've had people joining the spooktacular crew. We've had donations coming in. We've had people sign up to become executive producers. We thank all of you for that and welcome all of you. We will do specifics when we get back home and are able to do a regular episode.
1: And I just want to throw in a side note, fun fun note. If you do travel up to Beaufort, because we're on a traveling tour where history goes bump, so we talk about ghosts, but you cannot go to the town of Beaufort without going out and taking the ferry to the Cape Lookout National Seashore and make sure you include Shackelford Banks because we had the opportunity to do that before the tour and dinner and saw a herd of wild horses. It was amazing. But because I'm spoiled rotten sometimes by the forces, one of the horses was a one month old pony. It was so, so cool.
2: I always tell Denise that God spoils her because she gets whatever she wants most of the time. And we weren't even sure we would see horses. And then most people would say, well, you can kind of see them from a distance. These were, and as those of you who saw the video that she did on Facebook, very close to us, we actually had to start backing up because the little colt was coming towards us. And wow, so neat to see this little one-month-old colt out there rolling in the sand and just running and kicking his legs up. We watched the horses swimming in the ocean. I've never seen anything like that all the way up to their heads. It was just amazing.
1: Yes. And so that was definitely I went from being very kind of on edge in Wilmington, just because of all the noise and all the crowds and almost getting ran over in my car several times to this absolutely beautiful beach with horses with Diane and Tiana. We were the only two, two people and dog you could see anywhere on the beach. And so I, I transported to my happy place very, very quickly.
2: Yeah, so we're having a great time. We look forward to getting back home eventually, but we're heading on to some more great adventures here on the Outer Banks, and then we'll be heading into Asheville, and we already know we've got some people meeting us there, so we're looking forward to that. We're glad that you guys tuned in to this episode. We're glad that you guys tuned in to this special episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now.
1: Bye-bye.